Good morning. It is with a lot of gratitude that uh, I get to be with you this morning. And not just this morning, but it is with deep gratitude um, that I give thanks for this body of faith. Um, that I have been able to have the blessing and the privilege and the honor to have grown up in this church, to have been raised in the faith, to have come to know Jesus, to have been empowered to share the good news. I'm grateful. Whether you've been a part of this church for decades or this is your first Sunday here, we want you to know this. You are loved. You are loved deeply, completely. You are loved. Nothing you can do, nothing you need to do, nothing you have to live up to. You are loved because you are an expression of the divine. You are loved. May you today and every day bear witness to that love in your own life and in the life of others. Pray with me. Creator of life, giver of all goodness, we are thankful to be in this place this morning. We are grateful for all of the ways in which we get to experience your grace and your mercy and your justice in our lives. And so God, would you remind us yet again that we are an expression of yours. And that in that reminder that we belong to you, may we, with reckless abandon, communicate that deep and lavish love for others. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit. Amen. So I'd like to start from the beginning. Genesis chapter 1. Follow along with me, please. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And then God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to the various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, 
the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser night to, the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with the living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the water in the seas. Let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening, there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, Let us make human beings in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created human beings in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds on the sky and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw... God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. There was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. So in this opening narrative of Genesis, we get one of the most beautiful Hebrew poems written for us to enjoy. And within this, we get a rhythm of how this creation order comes into place. We get a description and an understanding of who this God is. That this is a God described by God's actions. God is a verb in this sense. Not just a noun apart from us, but a verb among us. This is a God who speaks. This is a God who creates This is a God who sees. God brings order and rhythm to life. And after each bit of creation, God says, it was good. Now, in our English language, we do not have a great translation for this word good. It's the Hebrew word tov. Now, 
our word good. If you have teenagers, if you have young kids and you ask them how the food tastes, they might just go, no, it's good. If you ask them how their weekend was, yeah, it was good. Uh, if you ask them how the movie was, movie, yeah, it was good. It was fine. It was okay. That's the best word that we can come up with in the English language. But in Hebrew, the word tov, so much more robust, so much deeper, so much more complete. And it means completeness. It means fullness. It means rightness. So after every time God creates, we get this rhythm. It was tov. It was tov. It was tov. It was tov. Seven times this phrase is repeated in the very first chapter of Genesis. Because we're meant to understand something. This is a holy, complete, full God who out of God's abundance creates things. And when this God creates, it is good. It is rich. It is robust. It is the essence of life. And then we come to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord said, It is not good for the man to be alone. For those who read this for the first time, this was an abrupt contrast to that rhythmic, it is good, it is tov, it is tov, it is good, it is good, it is good. And all of a sudden, just after one chapter, we come to a place where it's like it just smacks us in the face that something is not good. Something is not complete. Something is not okay. And the first thing that is not okay is not uh, man's interaction with an apple in the garden. The first thing that is not okay is that man is alone. Aloneness. It is out of order. It's not the way that we were designed. And if we sit with that for a second, it is not good that humankind is alone. This phrase, uh, there are passages in Scripture that are more prescriptive. We should do this, live this way, that kind of thing. This passage in Scripture is descriptive. It tells us what it's like to be human. And in this passage, it's not good that man is alone. We know that to be true, don't we? We've had seasons in our life where we have felt the aloneness. Maybe aloneness has come into our life because of the act of someone else. Maybe they have said or they have done something, taken something from us that they can't possibly return our trust. And we feel the pain of aloneness. Maybe an event takes place in our life that shakes us to our core, brings us to the foundation, and we feel the pain of aloneness. Does anyone know what this feels like? We feel what it's like to be alone. 
Maybe it's a season of life, not just an event, but a season of life. And maybe we can't quite put our finger on it, but for whatever reason, we've gone through seasons of life and we just feel like it's not clicking. We feel distant. We may be surrounded by friends and family and yet still feel this tinge of aloneness. And we know that it's not good. And in those spaces of aloneness, we long to be seen. First to ourselves. That we can pay attention to that pain. And this is perhaps one of the most challenging and difficult things to do in our modern culture. Because our Western modern culture does not know what to do with pain, with grief, with loss, and with aloneness. We need to be connected all the time. We need to put on a brave face all the time. We need to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and get through it all the time. And sometimes that's not how life works. And if we're not careful in our desire to plow through our aloneness, we can find ourselves ignoring that pain and medicating in all kinds of different ways. It might be with staying longer at work. It might be with drinking an extra couple of drinks after work. It might be with spending more money on clothes that you think will make you happy. It might be with all kinds of things to help get your mind off that pain and that aloneness. Because that aloneness is just longing to be seen. We come to a passage in Mark chapter 5 where Jesus has been healing demon-possessed people. He's been teaching about the gospel. And he comes to this moment where a synagogue ruler comes up to him and he says, Jesus, my daughter is dying. This is a moment of aloneness for someone who should have it all together. For a synagogue leader, for a synagogue ruler, good thi- or bad things don't happen to good people. If you've lived any bit of life, you know that none of us are immune from pain, from loss, from living a life where we go, that's not how it was supposed to be. And for this synagogue ruler, he is in the midst of his world crashing down because his daughter is dying And in his longing to be seen, in his aloneness, he recognizes this is not good, and he reaches out to Jesus. And so again, we get a glimpse of who this Jesus is, who this God is. This is a God who walks towards the aloneness. I see the pain, and I will journey with you, towards you, so there might be healing. And on his way... He encounters someone else who's experiencing aloneness and pain and loss. And this woman for 12 years, you talk about a season of life, 12 years has been dealing with a hemorrhage that has left her in the eyes of the religious elite unclean. Unclean. 
Levitical law tells us that anybody with, with blood or touching blood makes you ceremonially unclean, unfit. Unfit in the eyes of community, unfit in the eyes of God, and even worse, that uncleanness is contagious. If you touch someone who is unclean, you become unclean, unfit in the eyes of community, and unfit in the eyes of God. If you sit in the same chair as someone who was unclean sat in, you become unclean. For 12 years, this woman spent living a life of aloneness, pain, will someone see me? And even worse, she spends all that she has. She throws everything she can think of to try to make the situation better. And scripture says, it just got worse. Have you been there before? Where you've tried to do everything you possibly can in your power and in your might to work through a situation and it just feels like it gets worse and worse and worse. And you're feeling left more alone. She's excluded from community. Imagine the psychological toll that takes on a human being to not have physical touch in 12 years. To be labeled, to be condemned, to be cast aside, and to live a life identified by shame. Aloneness is not good can cause us to take on new kinds of identities that God would never give us. To live lives of guilt. To be identified by the things we've done and to live lives of shame. And so she's in this large crowd and she reaches out to Jesus and just touches him on his cloak And I love this response. He says, who touched me? And the disciples are like, what are you talking about? Who touched you? We're surrounded by people. You're getting touched every which way. And yet Jesus' perception, he's so clued in to the aloneness of people around him. He knows what's going on. And he stops. And he says, who touched me? Now imagine for a moment, put yourselves in that position of that woman doing everything you can to reach out to this large crowd. Jesus stops everything and says, hold it, who touched me? This is a woman who wants to live in isolation, who doesn't want to be seen in this group of people. And on one hand, in this time and space, I imagine it could bring a lot of terror and a lot of fear for this lady. Oh, I just just wanted to be healed. I don't want to come forward. And yet Jesus asks, who touched me? And she comes forward, says, your faith has healed you. What's beautiful about this passage is we know that the life of Jesus and the way he heals people and works with people, he's not calling her out to embarrass her. Or to cause more shame in her life. He's calling her out to give her some kind of agency in the participation of her own healing. She gets to participate. 
in her own healing. As Jesus says, daughter, come forward. And there may be others in this crowd who do not want to be identified with you. Who have cast you aside because of religious protocol. Because of right thinking. There may be those of you in this crowd who don't want to be associated with this woman. But I do. I claim her as my own. Daughter, come forward. Your faith has healed you. And so we see more about the nature of Jesus and the nature of God. This is a God who sees. In the midst of the crowd and the noise of life, when in the depths of our soul we're wondering if anyone hears me, sees me, can feel and empathize what's going on, this is a God who sees. This is a God who hears. This is a God when he acts, brings goodness, completeness, wholeness every time. And then he says to her, go in peace. This isn't just a uh, nice expression to communicate to someone. Like, I wish you well. The Hebrew word translated from the Greek is shalom. And it is a full sense of righteousness. It is as if everything is the way it should be. There is nothing lacking. Everything has been restored. There is completeness. And Jesus says to her, go in shalom. Go in completeness. Go in that truth that goodness has found you, a robust goodness. You no longer have to live in shame and isolation because I see you and I claim you as my own. Friends, that is the good news of the gospel. Whatever we journey through in this life, whatever our loved ones journey through in this life, whatever you're journeying through right now, and you're wondering, am I seen? Am I heard? It may be something that someone has done, or you may really be struggling because you're feeling like I brought this on myself. And you're wearing the heavy chains of shame. Know that there is a God who is reaching out, who sees, who hears, says you belong to me. And in goodness, I am making you complete. Not because of who you are, but because of who I am. And so friends, as you experience this life and those moments of aloneness come up, I encourage you to bring them to God. Don't hide, don't bury, don't hold. Bring them to God. And it may begin in your journal time, it may begin in your prayer time, Don't run away from the pain and the aloneness. And church family, my continued prayer 
is that your eyes are always open for those in the community, for those in your neighborhood that are reaching out, that are longing to be seen, that are longing to be incorporated back into the family of God. Let's pray. God, in everything that you do, it's good. It is complete, it is right, it is beautiful, it is tov. Everything that you do. And yet, God, there are moments in this life that we experience that are outside of the divine order, that are broken, that are painful, and that leave us in places of aloneness. In those spaces of aloneness, we often want to hide. And yet, God, in doing so, it it only creates more trouble. The pain doesn't subside. The grief doesn't go away. And it leaves us longing for healing. And so, God, for those of us who are here this morning that may be experiencing aloneness in one form or another, would they just hear you, hear you this morning? Would they hear you say to them, I see you? And maybe if you're in that position here today, you've been burying something deep, And maybe just in this quiet space right now, you and God, you need to excavate that to the surface. Say, God, this pain is causing me to feel alone. I can't do this. Receive it. And God, our prayer is that we would be the kinds of people that as we've been invited to participate in our own healing, that we would be the kinds of people to be released to incorporate others back into your goodness. That we would be the kind of people that would step across barriers. That we would be the kind of people that would take down religious order. To pursue people who are alone, that they no longer have to live in shame and pain, but they can be fully and completely restored and filled with love. And God, the goodness story doesn't stop there. As our pain has been healed, it then allows us to live lives of a reckless love for everyone. We do this not for our sake, but for the sake of the kingdom here, now, and forever. Amen.